Welcome back to another edition of the JDD podcast, Ask the Investigator, sponsored by Epi Health. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Friedman from the GW School of Medicine and Health Sciences. We have a special treat today as we have a, a unique phenomenon in dermatology, someone who has been trained in, in three areas of medicine, internal medicine, rheumatology, and dermatology. Dr. Joseph Marola uh, is, is a, a unique entity in dermatology. He is an assistant professor of dermatology and rheumatology, as well as director of the Center for Skin and Related Musculoskeletal Diseases uh, at, the, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. He's published close to 100 manuscripts, three of which happen to be in the August edition of the JDD. So certainly it was a difficult decision choosing which, which article we'll be talking about. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's my pleasure. Thank you. So obviously I had to make a choice, and it wasn't that hard of a choice uh, in, in that I, I really thought it would be great to discuss your manuscript entitled The Static Physician's Global Assessment of Genitalia, a Clinical Outcome Measure for the Severity of Genital Psoriasis. You know, no question, a, a discussion on down under is never a bad decision. Um, but that said, I, I think, you know, there, there there's a growing paradigm shift in how we think about a disease like psoriasis, you know, moving away from, you know, the effect the, the impact on body surface area, not just saying, oh, a lot of body surface area, that equals severe disease, that certain locations require a, a newer approach. Uh, and that was my kind of takeaway from, from the study. But to start, why don't you give us some background on this global assessment tool uh, that you helped develop? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, it, it uh, quite a bit of background, I think, you know, that, that could be discussed, obviously. I think we, we realized uh, that, and I should start by saying we've had somewhat of an interest in non-plaque psoriasis subsets of disease for some time. So not the, you know, the typical uh, scalp, elbows, and knees that I think, uh, you know, most of us are used to seeing in, in, in dermatology and in psoriasis care, but but really starting to think outside of uh, classic plaque disease. And, and we had looked uh, initially at inverse and intertriginous psoriasis having developed some outcome measures and quality of life tools in that uh, setting and then moved into not far away uh, but moved <laughs> moved just just medially uh, onto uh, genital psoriasis uh, and it was it, as I got started thinking about genital psoriasis and, and our group and this was not certainly done in uh, by any by any means in uh, <clears throat> in isolation by one individual but as a group, I think, I, and I can take my, my takeaway, was that it really is a tremendously high burden, more than I, I would have thought uh, even before uh, really, ta really taking a deep dive into the literature and then asking our patients, really a high burden uh, subset of disease that's very much overlooked and, and often underdiagnosed. Uh, and so, you know, with that background, we were really motivated to try to capture psoriasis, uh, general psoriasis disease severity. And it's hard to capture disease severity when you don't have a really good outcome measure to do so. Uh, and you know, and 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 uh, doing that well, and really being able to test uh, the psychometric properties of an outcome measure uh, like this, uh, you know, it starts locally. Uh, it starts with our thoughts about what goes into this, and asking patients, and sort of very you know grassroots effort, uh, and then kind of quickly becomes a small clinic endeavor and eventually becomes something that really requires the expertise, or it doesn't require, but it's, it's very much facilitated by the expertise of a group uh, like, you know, an industry group who, who does this routinely, who, who employs, you know, expert psychometricians and folks who are in the business of developing uh, really quality outcome measures and being able to test and validate these outcome measures 
uh, appropriately for use in something like a clinical trial. You know, I was, I was very impressed in the beginning of the intro of your paper. I didn't realize that the, the percent of those affected with the psoriasis, the percent of those that have general psoriasis, was as high as 45% according to some studies. That is much higher than, than I anticipated. Was that a kind of a surprise to you as well? Yeah, I, very much so. And I have to say, I underscore uh, that, to, you know, when I, when I speak about the topic, I would say a number that's even more impressive from one study by Katrina Ryan and Alan Mentor's group that was published back in 2015 is that 63% of patients in their survey uh, reported ever having genital involvement so that they, um, they uh, you know, even if it wasn't immediately active. And that was a survey of uh, about 130 or more patients. So, um, so I think that really drives home the point that it's not an uncommon event, but we're not uh, asking about it. And I'll tell you, the patients are uh, reluctant in some cases to bring it up, particularly if we're not um, trying to solicit the information from them. Uh, in that same study, just to drive home the sort of quality of life impact, uh, almost 90% of patients reported uh, itch from their genital psoriasis, and uh, at almost half uh, reported uh, impact on, uh, let's say, social uh, interaction, including, uh, frankly, including, uh, you know, uh, intercourse. And, uh, you can imagine how impactful this is, particularly among the young patients that were, that, that typically have, you know, psoriasis or first present with psoriasis. Um, uh, you know, another related study again showed that 43 or, or more percent of the patients didn't discuss the genital symptoms with their doctor. Um, and likely it doesn't say why, but likely that's because of you know, uh, some level of embarrassment, or in some cases, you know, they don't realize what it is because it doesn't always look uh, necessarily like the psoriasis on their elbows. Right. So, so you, I obviously identified there's a gap in how we really qual quantify and qualify uh, this form of psoriasis. You develop this global assessment tool, then you move on to the study. You know, what what prompted doing the study now? How did you kind of formulate it and, and put it all together? Yeah, so I, I would say again, it, um, I think, you know, uh, we had been developing a variety of tools in this in this space, uh, and um, this was this started uh, in discussions with um, the uh, the industry uh, partners that were listed in the study. I mean, this was very much a collaborative effort with the good folks at uh, Eli Lilly, who understood the burden of this disease, and we had been talking about that for a number of years. Understood that we needed. Uh, really a, a, an appropriately uh, vetted and valid instrument to be able to look at this. And it was really a, 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 of mutual benefit to try to get something over the finish line that could be used in, for example, not just in our interest uh, academically for observational studies, but what was exciting was that the group there was interested in an interventional study. And the goals were very much aligned because in order for them to do an interventional study, and really one of the first interventional studies of this magnitude for genital psoriasis, uh, of which the results are still not yet published. Um, but uh, I can say that, you know, uh, very excited that our goals were, were very much aligned. They wanted to do this study. We know the patient need uh, is there. And, and again, the burden is, is so high that um, this was quite a good uh, co uh, collaboration. 
I think that's such an important point that, it, it, you know, I, I like to say when I show my disclosure slide, like we all do in you know, various talks, I like to say, you know, to the audience, it's possible to have a meaningful relationship with industry. I, I think so often those relationships are, you know, frowned upon or it's thought to be, you know, very, very selfish or uh, self-promoting, but you actually can have a meaningful relationship and come together and create great work and, and create a tool and validate a tool that, that will certainly have a tremendous impact moving forward. What advice do you have for those out there who want to engage industry to work together? Because in this day and age, funding is scarce, uh, resources are scarce, even in academia. You know how how did you you know cross the divide and interact with with with, for example, here Eli Lilly and work together to kind of put this all together? Yeah, no, it's a wonderful question, and I, I'd say you know I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with regard to funding challenges in the current environment and such. And you know I, I think. Uh, it is important to be at the table. And I, you know, it really, the, the, the uh, sort of academic industry interface and even private practice, you know, uh, industry interface is, is an extremely important one. I think it's important for us to bring our expertise to the table, to be able to tell and form industry, frankly, about what the unmet needs are, what the gaps are, where we need help, where goals are aligned. There are going to be plenty of opportunities when dermatologists sit down and can see clearly that the goals maybe are not aligned, you know, or maybe it's more of a one-way street or, or one-way interaction. But in a case like this, where we knew that there was an unmet need, there was a gap. And to be honest, again, I, I think the, the way you uh, stated uh, just a moment ago, the, the, uh, the, the, the potential benefit here uh, really is that, uh, you know, I, I could make a case that it would be really, really difficult to do something like this without industry. They right. have, you know, the, the, the pool of patients, not just to say the financial resources, but, you know, um, how else to best test, for example, sensitivity to change of an instrument over time, but in a large interventional uh, trial uh, setup. And so it's really the, the most ideal way uh, to, to think about this. And, you know, what uh, one of the things I like to do often is if we have an idea locally in the clinic or in, you know, that, that hits us uh, in a certain disease state is I will uh, go online. You know, it's uh, go uh, Dr. Google is, is pretty good at telling <laughs> us uh, these days what's in the pipeline. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Most people have, unfortunately, our patients have too. Yeah. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I like to just, you know, search um, for what's currently in the pipeline, which companies are interested in which diseases, um, you know, uh, I, I uh, will sometimes even look at uh, clinicaltrials.gov and just try to get a sense of the landscape and say, OK, well, we're interested in, you know, X disease and we see this unmet need. You know, I think uh, when we have those meetings uh, with our industry uh, partners, it's a great time to bring up ideas, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's important at the same time, depending on your idea, certainly getting a uh, two-way non-disclosure agreement in place, depending on how good your idea is or what the nature right. of it is, is not a bad idea. But yep. but then sit down with folks and, you know, and, and uh, help harness some of that um, that that um, potential to really make things happen for our patients and for our field. I think it's really, really important. No, that, that was fantastic advice. So, all right, you have your tool. You're now collaborating with Eli Lilly. You now need to validate your tool. How, how did you think about it in terms of coming up with a, a methodology that would allow you to hang your hat and say, okay, I feel pretty good about this tool being accurate. How did you formulate your study to get to that point? Right. Absolutely. And I, I want to be very clear to not take full, uh, in any way, full credit for, for this. It was uh, absolutely a village and collaborative effort among all the folks on the list uh, 
who have done lots of work in this area. Uh, you know, Dr. Mentor has been a, an expert in this space. Christina Kalis Duffin, who we work with with an outcome measures group and, and done lots of work. So uh, definitely a village. But I will say that our our work on this was actually quite interesting. And uh, as a uh, as a, uh, a funny aside, uh, but directly related, you can imagine that a lot of this was based on looking at a whole lot of pictures of gen- genital psoriasis. And uh, some of them appear in the article uh, to give folks a, a rough sense of what we were you know, uh, dealt what we were dealing with. Um, some of the challenges were bringing that clinical expertise to the table and saying, "Look, this isn't just black disease." You know, in many cases, uh, psoriasis in the in the genital uh, region is as much defined by some secondary features: erosion, uh, maceration. You know, affected by friction and moisture. Uh, but but some of the characteristic features we're used to seeing in psoriasis, the the, the scale, for example may not be present in this area, right? It, it tends to be more, uh, uh, you know, uh, defined by um, the, the redness, the erythema, for example. And so we had to infuse that clinical aspect and those cl- the clinical knowledge with the expertise on the other side of how to best develop and validate a tool. And I think that's where the partnership comes in, right? Is being able to say, okay, we know that uh, a, a typical PGA, of, you know, the, the, the validated numerous uh, variants of physicians' global assessment tools for psoriasis are not likely to, say, apply here. You know, at the same time, coming up with a really, really, uh, you know, uh, what what we might have envisioned as a very different uh, model for a a tool, you know, we can can go back to our industry colleagues and say, they'll, they'll give us information to say, look, you know, the FDA in a clinical trial really prefers, for example, a global assessment uh, tool as a base, as a backbone to come into this with. And, and it's this constant back and forth that gets us to where we want to be. Uh, but it, but to come full circle, we had to look at, and a lot of this was based on um, a whole host of images, right, as you can imagine. So right. um, I had to certainly make sure I actually bought, funny story, I bought one of those uh, uh, laptop filters uh, for my screen so that folks couldn't see me on the airplane, you know, while I was sort of <laughs> reviewing uh, endlessly. And we, we'd, we'd be, you know, we'd be in breakout sessions at meetings, sort of, you know, cowered in the corner looking at pictures, endless pictures of genital uh, psoriasis. So, so that, was, uh, that was the unique aspect of this, uh, of this study. Uh, <clears throat> and a lot of this was based on trying to get the full breadth of mild, moderate, severe uh, disease to look at and really trying to decide among expert opinion, right? So we essentially start by building a training set uh, based on on expert consensus of what genital psoriasis looks like, what the variety of severities looks like. And remember the other challenges, looking at the variety of severities, both in men and in women, also including in that mix um, a variety of skin types, right? Because again, as we all know, these look and behave differently in a variety of, uh, of, of uh, you know, of, of skin types and skin uh, skin pigmentation types. So, for for all of those reasons, you know, we the, uh, we had to really uh, rely on on some uh, uh, score development expertise in putting that together. And then ultimately, the um, the, the uh, you know the group had to go back and build training modules uh, to look at these test outside of that expert group to see, uh, you know, what inter-rater and inter-rater reliability look like, all the things that we present uh, in the article, 
um, you know, do a little more in-depth statistical analysis and come up with what we think was really a, a valid uh, tool that could then uh, face, uh, you know, a, uh, an observational or in this case, um, you know, will be used and, and very much tested in an interventional uh, clinical trial, which is, which is quite exciting. Uh, and, and really, I think where we, where we want to see these things go, it's, that's sort of the, the holy grail of outcome measure development. So, so, so you know, to, to your point about getting the, the filter on your, on your laptop, I, I happen to be reading your manuscript on the Metro that didn't end well, uh, <laughs> a little, little bit of surprise for the crowd surrounding me on, on the Metro. So that was right. Would have been nice to have a little heads up. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I would suggest you keep, keep, at least keep, uh, keep your ID on. So people know that you're a physician, you know, where you're, well, you're pawing through these images, whatever, whatever makes you look official. But anyway, right. You know, or then so. they could, of course, go on to Yelp and comment how <laughs> Dr. Freeman was, is a dirty, dirty man. Um, so, so what were the results? What did you we learn from from this, this well thought out study? Yeah, I mean, the, so the high level is that, you know, this static uh, PGA, uh, genital based PGA had a very high inter-rater uh, reliability um, for expert raters, uh, as well as um, folks who were trained in taking this measure and then went back and, and actually, um, uh, you know, had to pass their, uh, their exam, as it were, in, in rating um, the variety of photographs that, that were put uh, in front of them. And so, you know, the study really demonstrates that this particular tool is seemingly has good, you know, what we would say sort of face validity, seems to make sense. It seems to fit with what we would think clinically makes sense. Uh, it's intuitive. And it does seem to be reliable as a clinical outcome measure. Now, um, you know, for measuring the severity of genital psoriasis. Now, this what this study does not yet do, and this this study doesn't do. But what we'll see over time is how this um, uh, <clears throat> particular um, outcome measure changes over time. Say in an interventional study. So when we've you know we, we've we've uh, measured a patient uh, at their at their baseline, there some intervention happens. Uh, and we can look and see over time how how sensitive, for example, uh, to change is the tool. How well does it represent uh, patients, uh, you know, uh, or the or the physician's assessment of how um, the skin looks? And then how well does it correlate, for example, with the quality of life instruments? You know, do, does improvement in this uh, measure, for example, improve um, uh, you know quality of life measures? The DLQI does it improve? Uh, you know, sexual dysfunction uh, scores over time? It, does it change, you know, the, the impact, which ultimately really is, I guess, the, the point of all this. Uh, and, you know, can we, can we really make patients' quality of life better, uh, at least in this small sphere of, uh, of disease, uh, you know, uh, skin disease? And, and hopefully it opens the door to multiple other trials in the future. Now, I think you mentioned this earlier, has there already been a study utilizing this tool? Uh, I know it's not published, but it's already been implemented in a clinical study. Right. So, so this tool has, um, to date, has, uh, is now being used in an interventional uh, study with Lilly. And uh, I, I think there's very good reason to think that this uh, will um, be used, hopefully, in, you know, in, in other interventional programs. But yes, it is being used. Um, as in fact, as a primary endpoint in a genital psoriasis study, um, as, uh, which uh, again, the, re the results of which have not yet been uh, published, but I, I, I can say that it, it's a study of ixekizumab, which is an anti-IL-17 drug with the primary outcome being the proportion of subjects who achieve 
um, a, an SPGA of uh, genital, uh, you know, skin, meaning this Malkin measure of a zero or one, so a clear or almost clear, uh, you know, uh, rating at 12 weeks. And then there are a whole number of secondary outcomes looking at sexual impact and itch and quality of life, such as DLQI and, and, and symptom scales and such. So it, it has the potential to be very robust in looking at how this measure, um, uh, you know, uh, maps to other uh, outcome uh, points of, of uh, uh, you know, of relevance to patient disease and general psoriasis. Wow. So it's like truly de- instead of bench to bed, so like almost desk to bedside as this tool you you and your team has have developed in you know collaboration with the industry is now actually being utilized as as a, a standard for uh, a particular form of, of skin disease. That's that's incredible. So for those of those who are reading this or hearing this podcast, what's the take home message from this study? Or you hope that someone will take away from reading your your, your manuscript? Yeah, well, I think one of them is about the disease state, even though it's you know, this was very much facing an outcome measure. I think, you know, we're, we're trying to emphasize that genital psoriasis is, you know, a high burden, undermeasured, underreported phenotype of psoriasis. And, you know, therefore it's understudied and it's undertreated. So I think, you know, one of the take-homes is to appropriately diagnose and treat patients with genital psoriasis, uh, you know, really, really to, to get patients undressed, not to be afraid to ask to look, uh, or at least to ask if they've had these symptoms as part of their um, psoriasis. You know, just uh, with my clinical hat on, I, I, I know many uh, uh, physicians who treat uh, this disease have seen patients come in and often, you know, they particularly, uh, you know, I've seen uh, younger patients who are concerned that this is a sexually transmitted disease. You know, they're either afraid to bring it up or if they do, it's because they're, they're interested in uh, you know, STD testing or STI testing. And, and, and you know, I, I can tell you there's usually a sigh of relief when they hear it's their psoriasis, but then they quickly, you know, of course, want it treated, understandably. And, and again, because of such a heavy burden uh, of disease for a variety of reasons, um, you know, it affects clothing choices and social interactions and dating and sexual activity. But even, you know, we've looked and it affects, uh, uh, you know, uh, a variety of aspects of, of, uh, of disease, of um, uh, daily living. I mean, even toileting in some cases, you know, all of those things can be uh, impacted. So, so, uh, so, so that's the disease state side. The other side is, is this development of this novel uh, outcome measure, which we're hoping that the development of these tools to accurately measure, um, in this case, the disease severity, but ultimately, you know, more tailored outcome measures that could be developed to look at burden of disease, effect on quality of life, uh, will will gain momentum. Um, this is very much for use in clinical trials, but you could imagine this could well be documented in clinical practice as well. So the you know the future of something like this could be documentation now in your your note in your chart. So for the physician who's listening, who maybe is saying, "How does this apply to me?" I mean, certainly you know using a numeric system like this, uh, you know, if you have a patient with severe disease, you could document it subsequent visits, how they're doing and try to follow it over time, although it hasn't been formally validated for that for that use. So I think there, there's lots of opportunity uh, moving forward. And hearing you talking about that, I almost think about this as being a way to maybe 
get insurance coverage, access to medications that may be you know historically rejected due to you know the generals being a small body surface area, but having a validated tool can highlight the impact of a smaller area on quality of life. You know, and so many different factors that fit into that uh, because we all struggle with access to care on a day to day basis. So having a tool like this may become part of our repertoire in order to argue to insurances why they should be you know laying out the money for a more expensive therapy as well. Um, so- Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I would I would just uh, t- t- tack on to that that I, I agree completely. I think, uh, you know, the National Psoriasis Foundation and other groups have really tried to stress, and there have been several publications to this to this end, that it's not that severity of psoriasis is not just about body surface area. It's about uh, quality of life impact, and then in in other um, you know uh, areas such as the face palmoplantar area, you know, nail with nail uh, disease, or in this case, in the genital or even inverse intertriginous areas, that uh, it's not about body surface area, it's about impact and, and severity. And, and you're right, that I'm hoping that this gets us to, uh, to, to a place where maybe payers, um, you know, will even help to understand this. And you can envision that the outcome of an inter- interventional trial could potentially involve, you know, a uh, package insert or label change for um, even if it's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, non-label use, but maybe even comment in the package insert for the use of a drug that has impact for our ability to get these drugs for patients. So I agree completely with your with your comment. So I want you to keep your clinical hat on because after we're from our sponsor, we're going to do a deep dive in your with respect to your approach of you know with general psoriasis, but also just inflammatory general diseases. Uh, given it is such a delicate area, and certain considerations need to be taken. This podcast is brought to you by EPI Health, a specialty company with a focus on dermatology. Their goal is to bring you best-in-class skincare solutions for unmet medical needs. Currently, they bring you Nuvail, Cidavig, and Benzol HP. They are continually expanding their prescription product line to offer dermatologists like you and patients new and better options to treat skin conditions. And we're back with triple discipline threat, Dr. Joseph Marola. And we're going to be talking about treating inflammatory diseases affecting the genitalia. Now, I think you alluded to this earlier in the podcast that very often patients will not offer up that they have involvement, whether it be you know psoriasis, which obviously affects other areas. Um, maybe the patient's coming in specifically for a general issue, but when it's a more general skin issue that also involves the genitalia, they may not even mention it. How do you broach that? How do you bring, because it's a kind of delicate subject, you know, uh, especially I'm sure there's some gender differences. What is your approach to eliciting that information? Yeah, you know, I, I, I guess because I've now been uh, desensitized to the topic, uh, having, uh, you know, uh, asked so many patients and having uh, looked at the photos, I, I, I think, you know, just like our training is set for the same kind of questions we would ask for, uh, uh, you know, for uh, any other sexual health, I, uh, I dive right in. I mean, I kind of, you know, remind people, I say, you know, it's not uncommon for patients to, uh, psoriasis patients, uh, or even I'll say it's quite common for psoriasis patients to have involvement in the genital and body fold region. Have you experienced that? You know, and uh, uh, sometimes I, you know, will even qualify by saying we don't have to check, but, you know, have you noticed any changes there? And then offer to have a look if they're comfortable. Um, I will say uh, being, uh, uh, you know, um, a male dermatologist, I will sometimes, uh, you know, uh, offer that, you know, we don't have to necessarily do the exam if there's any d- discomfort uh, with a female patient, but to bring it up with their gynecologist or their primary care physician. And I'm happy to 
you know, in, in collaboration, discuss treatment with them if uh, things are not getting better with our initial uh, uh, discussion. But I'd say the vast majority of patients are more than happy to show us and share their experiences with it, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with genital disease. And, and we didn't talk a lot about it in this program, but we've done some work that even preceded genital psoriasis, looking at inverse and intertriginous psoriasis, which of course is a, is a close neighbor. Uh, although they, you know, they, they, they don't necessarily ha have to happen certainly together. Uh, and, um, and similarly, it's very much an undiagnosed and under, uh, treated, uh, aspect of psoriasis that has a, sort of a similar profile in terms of burden of disease and, and the location of involvement, you know, with all of the baggage that, that comes with the location. Are there any misperceptions that you've you know, come across from patients in terms of what they think it is, or maybe about misperceptions about treatment, um, anything that, you know, would help, you know, the listeners kind of dispel those myths or maybe even address them head on before the patient even brings them up? Yeah. So again, I think when, uh, even if the patient has a history of psoriasis, they often aren't making the connection that that's what this is. Um, they don't read a lot about psoriasis involving that area often, or again, it looks slightly different because the the, the morphologic quality often doesn't include scale um, or, you know, they've, they've been treating other areas and they're clear and, and they haven't thought to treat this area. So uh, it, it, particularly in younger people, it, it, it's not infrequent that they consider that it could be uh, an STI, you know, a sexually transmitted uh, infection. And, and mm -hmm. putting that to bed, I think, is, is certainly important. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, uh, if, you, if you lead, and I've been surprised by how um, people will open up once I, you know, ask them whether or not their partner has had any concerns about the, the way it looks or if it's impacted their uh, dating or, sec or you know, sexual activity in any way. And I, once we bring it up, they're often more than happy to beware, uh, more than happy to, uh, to discuss, you know, how it's uh, impacted them. Um, often there have been uh, clothing choice changes. So if you really ask, people will have made changes uh, in their, uh, you know, in their undergarments or, or, uh, uh, or have tried a variety of things that, um, you know, um, I would say most of us would not recommend, uh, you know, uh, over the counter treatments or, uh, use of, uh, of topicals that frankly could be more irritating. I've had lots of people say, you know, I keep it extra clean and I scrub the area and I, you know, or I use alcohol and it just isn't getting better. And I, I mean, obviously, first I, I you know, I, I cross my legs, but then I, uh, <laughs> uh, but then I, you know, we, we, we have a, a discussion about how, you know, how that's probably not helping. A lot of increased friction, people scrubbing and trying to get things off or get things clean, and obviously with the kebnerization potential, it, it's not a not a good place to be. Now, you know, you also mentioned before, obviously, psoriasis looks different here. It's anatomically unique location, the thickness of the skin, it behaves very differently. Um, first identifying that it is psoriasis, that's tough. And I think, you know, developing your tool and showing that it's validated by the non-expert community is great. But obviously, a lot of junk can also occur on your junk. You know, lichen planus <laughs> can occur here. Um, lichen sclerosis to BXO, even more concerning things like bonoid papulosis. Are there any distinct clinical clues that would push you away from lichen planus, contact dermatitis, or even some more concerning things like LSNA and bonoid papulosis? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, and I don't want to spell out the obvious. I mean, you know, if if there's psoriasis elsewhere, there's nail disease, there's a family history. I mean, certainly, I think all of those things um, would, would 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 start to bolster our idea that this is indeed genital uh, disease. Um, you know, if if there's any hint, if if I'm not seeing psoriasis elsewhere, 
you know, I mean, I always look, you know, do an oral exam in terms of, you know, uh, look in the mouth, look for lichen planets, look for other, you know, suggestion that that might be the case. Um, you know, in terms of bonoid, uh, you know, or, or disease or SCCIS or other things that can come up, you know, I, I, as long as I have a patient who I know is going to come back to clinic and I'm trying to avoid the fear and pain of, say, a biopsy, which would ultimately give us much more data, uh, you know, I think there's no problem with a, you know, a brief course of topical, even low potency, of course, steroids to try to see what the response is to at least rule out or hopefully help to clarify whether this is a neoplastic or inflammatory process. But, you know, when 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 there's a, a question and, and we just can't get an answer, you know, a, a tiny biopsy uh, is, uh, although, you know, uh, the patients are obviously squeamish, uh, right. it can always be helpful, uh, no question. I find that the inverse psoriasis can be, or endotriginous can be more of a challenge. You know, we have a lot of patients who come in who have failed multiple, multiple courses of topical and or systemic uh, anti-candidal and antifungal therapy from their primary docs uh, who, you know, just insist that this is a, uh, a fungal disease, despite their even known, sometimes known psoriasis history. And that can be, you know, that can be more of a, of a challenge in getting folks to understand the differential diagnosis uh, of inverse uh, disease and, and, and how to, you know, get their heads around diagnosis and treatment for, uh, for intertriginous uh, involvement. So what, what special considerations do you take when developing a treatment plan uh, for general disease? And, and certainly they could be kind of two unique patients. There's the patient who just has general psoriasis and no other involvement, so the diagnosis can be a little tricky, and you're looking at more focal therapy. But then you've, you also have the patient who has the kind of general gestalt of psoriasis, uh, you know, plaque psoriasis, but also general disease. In each of those cases, do you take a different approach because there's general involvement? Yeah, so so you know, I think uh, not exactly the same, but but related. Um, we uh, recently published a treatment guideline. Uh, in fact, uh, it is in that same edition. Uh, I want to say so we can do a double podcast here. But uh, in, that, in that very same edition, we 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 uh, we published a treatment of inversion into trigenous psoriasis. Updated guidelines from the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. Myself, uh, Abby Van Voorhees. Uh, from the, the who's the current uh, 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 president of the of the medical board of National Psoriasis Foundation, uh, and 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 uh, actually was uh, also helped by a, one of our students who's now going to be a Durham resident here at HMS. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the principles and, and and clinical approach in that article are certainly relevant to genital uh, disease. Um, I would say, you know, it's obviously it's a discussion with the patient. Some of it is as simple as you know talking about friction from clothing you know, um, uh, underwear choice, you know, boxers over briefs, you know, I mean, I, you know, things that, uh, that might be helpful uh, to the patient in terms of thinking about, you know, uh, decreasing friction for, for secondary change, for erosion, for, you know, for rubbing, for, you know, all the things that make this worse. Um, you know, talking about sexual health, which we're not used to thinking about with our psoriasis patients. So, you know, um, using lubricants or lubricated condom, for example, to prevent friction injury, uh, making it more comfortable, you know, to how to bring this up with your partner to say this is not, and here's a point we didn't get to, but boy, is it important, uh, is this is not contagious. Uh, I mean, so many patients with psoriasis, you know, particularly with sexual health, where where a partner is afraid that they're going to somehow catch this or this is, you know, so really having that discussion and making sure that a partner is, you know, so, so I think the discussion piece is really important. You know, in terms of treatment, you know, for limited genital disease, when you know that's what it is, you know, all the 
usual suspects, I think, that folks listening are going to be comfortable with. But um, we certainly off-label, well, almost all off-label use, but, you know, mild potency topicals to put out the fire, uh, you know, using, uh, we do reach for, you know, vi topical vitamin D analogs, as well as uh, cal topical calcineurin inhibitors, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, 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 protopic and such to, to help control uh, disease more long-term. Um, you know, we tend to avoid, uh, I think, some of the more, uh, you know, uh, uh, drying or irritating agents. I certainly, we, we tend not to use things like, you know, topical retinoids uh, in this area for those reasons. Um, uh, but then, you know, moving to the next step, there's every reason to think that uh, systemic agents and, and uh, you know, a variety of, of a mechanism of action will work in this setting. But I think really for the first time with this um it, it, um, it's really the first time we have a controlled, a proper controlled, uh, you know, a double-blind placebo-controlled uh, uh, study in genital psoriasis of a systemic intervention. So we're going to find out from this ixekizumab lily study whether or not, um, you know, that drug really treats this. Is this the same phenotype as what we're seeing elsewhere? Will it respond? We have good reason to think it will, but, you know, but I think it'll be good to see that and be able to have some data both to show our patients, uh, but as well to show payers uh, if, if it's really severe disease and we're not getting anywhere with, say, topicals alone. So question about topical steroids, you know, I, I think we all went through our training and, every, you know, it's beating our heads, you know, you use low potency topical steroids for more delicate areas, folds, face, genitals. How true is that? I mean, you know, you have obviously recalcitrant disease, they come in, they've tried hydrocortisone over the counter, hydrocortisone 2.5%. Um, do we really need to be so yeah. cautious in this yeah, area? Can wonderful. we hit it for a yeah. period? So, you know, so, what, like <laughs> so it's got the medical legal feel of being on a on a radio program with you here for a podcast. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that the, the knee-jerk reaction is to, of course, say low potency. You know, look, if it's someone you have a good relationship with and you and you trust and I mean, would I have someone for a few days? If I let's let's take a step back. If it were me. And I was standing in the bathroom looking down. Okay, there's a visual for everyone listening. Um, and I had, would I be afraid to reach for my clobetazole for a few days to clear my? I probably wouldn't, frankly, right? I'm probably that's what you're getting to. If it were just for a few days, and then I transitioned to something, you know, for maintenance or for longer term. So, you know, I couldn't you use a medium potency? Sure. I mean, I think it's really about telling patients how to use it, where to put it. Uh, you know, what the risks potentially could be if they do it, you know, ad infinitum and, uh, you know, or not putting it in occlusive areas in their groin and such. So, so yeah, I, 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 your point is well taken. I, I think, you know, I think there are, there is opportunity to step things up. Uh, but that said, you know, it, look, it, it does spread to body fold areas. There is, and, and then I do get more nervous. I think you would, you would agree. I mean, if it, if it's rubbing off in, you know, into the into the inguinal folds and the body folds, and it's, it's there for you know weeks on end. I, I I would I would start to have some more concern in this area than I would in others, and I think that's where some of the, uh, you know, the the steroid sparing alternatives and even systemic therapy may come in. You know, I completely agree with you. And I think to your earlier point, that discussion piece cannot be missed, you know, you know, because obviously a lot of patients come in probably with more fears about steroids than are necessary, and, and they may not even want to use a mild potency, let alone a, um, a high potency topical steroid. So I think it's your point. You got to talk to them. You tell them how to use it. You tell them how to do it the right way. Um, going on off the, the off label, you know, kind of uh, approach, which, which I think we are the off label rulers of the medical universe. Um, 
Any experience with PD, topical PD-4 inhibitors in general psoriasis? Um, I can honestly say I do not yet have uh, any experience in our clinic using it. it I mean, it's certainly something that we have uh, thought about reaching for off-label. Um, I will have to report back to you. I mean, there's good reason to think that it very well could uh, work. The one, the only one caveat I would say is, uh, you know, um, I, I have uh, heard about a number of patients experiencing um, uh, burning yeah. uh, and an irritant dermatitis, you know, with its early use that subsequently improves. And, you know, just given this delicate nature of the area, I may have some pause with regard to the irritant um, effect, but it's certainly something that we could, uh, you know, we could and, and probably will at some point suggest in the right setting. But I, that would be my only, my only caution. Um, although there is every reason again to think that it would likely uh, benefit. And, and for your, you know, plaque psoriasis patient who also has that added uh, element of the general psoriasis, does that component make you reach for a systemic agent faster than if they just maybe had plaques on the elbows and these extensor surfaces? Does that involvement change the severity in your mind? Forget even, you know, your tool. Historically, has that always pushed you a little faster towards something like a biologic? Yeah, so no, it's a great question. You know, I, I think anytime we're seeing other areas of non-plaque psoriasis that is impactful on the patient, we should at least be thinking about whether this is, you know, um, worthy of a, of a systemic agent discussion with the patient. You know, facial disease, really bad scalp disease, despite the low BSA, uh, you know, uh, nail inverse in general, uh, for sure. So, so absolutely. And I think that's why the, the patient, we have to somehow figure out a way to get the patients comfortable with the discussion, particularly around impact. Um, I, I remember that the most impactful uh, a patient story I, I heard, uh, I, I, you know, in, the, in this space was actually a, um, a patient partner at, uh, at a, um, uh, it was a meeting of, an, uh, of our Durham Outcome Measures Group, and there was a patient who was talking about uh, her experience as a teenager with dating. And she was, a, you know, obviously an open book, and it really stuck with me because she was very much tearful talking about how impactful, never mind the plaque disease was, but, you know, for a young person, to have involvement in the groin, in the genitals, that that impacts what you're wearing, how you're dating, you know, what what um, what you know, uh, uh, you know, how you change in the dressing room with your with your you know your friends around, and then leading up to you know uh, uh, marriage and and uh, you know sexual activity, and then even you know the fear then of her children and what their risk was going to be of having this, and then watching you know her children over time in teenagehood develop psoriasis and and having that you know parent fear of how they're going to, you know, have to deal with this and what it's going to mean for their social development. And they, that really stuck with me, I think, over the years. And, I, and I've used that uh, example with patients when they're uncomfortable uh, to say that, you know, it's not uncommon. We understand how burdensome it is uh, and, you know, and see if we can sort of drag them out of their shell and talking about it uh, when, when, when it's a problem. So uh, anyway, I, I, you know, just to, just to share that anecdote. Well, I think that you are not alone mentality and, and message needs to be put across. I've had, I can't recall how many patients I've had that I'm like, this is a common condition. They're shocked. They can't believe that other people have this. And I, I think that's a very important message to get across. Forgetting even, you know, thinking about just general psoriasis, but psoriasis in, in, in overall is a very common skin disease. And a lot of patients aren't aware of that. So I think that message really needs to be hit at home, not just by us as the dermatologists, but also uh, throughout the, you know, arena of, of medicine. Any final pointers? And yes, that word selection is deliberate uh, for, for, our, for our listeners with respect to the management of uh, genital disease. 
Well, I, I, first, I'd like to congratulate you for keeping it a pretty clean conversation. Because we had <laughs> many, easy. no, we had many opportunities here for this to go south. Uh, no, right again, no pun intended. There you go. Think, well played. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think that uh, we've we've kept it really above the waist. Uh, uh, and uh, so, so I thank you for that. But no, I, I think you know the, the, the summary take-home message again is don't be afraid to you know to ask patients and screen. And the same way we've pushed over the years for screening for psoriatic arthritis among psoriasis patients, you know, which is very much squarely or largely in the dermatologist's court. Uh, I think it's really important to remember that if someone has skin, you know, psoriasis, that we you know, spend the extra 10 seconds to ask if they have any involvement of their, uh, of the genital region of, or body folds and, you know, and, 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 and see where, uh, where it falls, because I, I, I will, I, I will guarantee that folks will get, um, many more, uh, responses, uh, you know, positive responses back than, uh, than, than they were expecting. And it, it opens the dialogue for, for treatment and for, for potentially even appropriate escalation of therapy, uh, you know, when, when it's, uh, when it's burdensome enough to the patient. Well, thank you so much for your time and expertise uh, and keep up doing this great work. We obviously need tools and research like this. So, so certainly your, your efforts are recognized and, and, and well appreciated. And thank you all of you for joining us and make sure to tune in next month for the next JDD podcast. Thanks to EPI Health, the marketers of NuVail, Citavig, and Benzol HP for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to let them know you enjoyed this podcast.